Well, good morning. Thank you to uh, Steve and to the worship band um, for opening the service this morning. It's good to be together. It's good to worship and it's good to celebrate the things that God does in our midst week after week. And it's good to um, acknowledge our, our young people as well, our children. I always, um, when I'm often at the front, I don't see the, the children going out. But I know on the odd occasion when I've been at the back of church, it's a wonderful thing to see um, this small army of children suddenly exiting, uh, not exiting the church, but exiting to go to their groups. It's, it's, in, it's encouraging. It's a good thing. And, and bless the parents and people who, who bring them every week and, um, and prepare them to come into, um, into church to learn about, about God. Well, this morning we are continuing uh, the series that we started last week, looking at the Beatitudes and looking at um, how we can align our own attitude with the, the teachings that we find in the Beatitudes. And um, the, the, having the, the right attitude in what is often a, a wrong world. When Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount, which the Beatitudes are part of, some of it was new teaching, some of it wasn't. But whether it was new or whether it was just a, a reminder of teaching that had gone before, we often find, don't we, that we can get so caught up in a situation, we can get so caught up in the topsy-turvy nature of the world that when we take a step back or maybe when time has passed and we can reflect and there's been a bit of a, a gap, we can suddenly reassess our, our actions, our words, um, our opinions perhaps, um, the company we kept, and we feel very differently about it. When we've, when we've lost the, the emotional attachment, when we've had a bit of distance, we can look and we can think, I was completely, I, was, I acted in completely the wrong way there. I completely got the wrong end of the stick. I, I acted um, in the total opposite um, of the way which I should have done. And so Jesus was sort of giving this, um, this resetting of the, the moral, the spiritual compass of the people that he was speaking to. Now, I, just to kind of give you an idea of, of what, how easy it is to become disorientated, to, to lose that sense of, of direction, to lose that sense of, of where we happen to be in any given time and which direction is the right direction for us to go. I just want to share with you um, a, brief, a brief story. When I was 14, I joined, no, 13, when I joined the Air Cadets, and I'd never been in a plane. I'd ne up to that point in my life, I'd never flown a plane. I'd ne well, never flown in a plane. Um, and um, soon after I joined, I had this opportunity to go flying. And um, the Air Cadets, brilliant organisation, takes groups of um, teenagers, gives them all these opportunities. And at the age of 13, I got into a, a two-seater two um, aeroplane, and sitting next to me was a, um, an RAF Tornado pilot, who his, his day job was flying um, a 30 million pound jet around the skies. And we, we see the sort of modern equivalent going over Norwich on a fairly regular basis. And so, um, to put it mildly, this was someone who knew what they were doing. I was in the safest possible hands. And um, these pilots fly cadets to keep their flying hours up, basically. And it's sort of a, something they do in their spare time. And so I was sitting there, 13-year-old me, having never, um, never even been abroad in a plane, sitting there as a passenger, let alone having actually flown 
one, and I've got a control column in front of me, and there are pedals, and there are dials, and everything all around me, and we, we take off, and um, I've been briefed, I've been told, um, right, Madders, the, the pilot will probably ask you, have you ever flown before? Say yes. Because if you say no, you'll just fly straight and level, do a circuit, and then land. If you say, yes, sir, I have flown before, then you'll do something more exciting, more interesting. So we get up there. Sure enough, the pilot says, so, um, Matters, uh, my name, he was a squadron leader, someone, um, just, to, just to let you know, this is what I've flown in. I've flown in Iraq. I've done this. I've done this. Um, and he sort of put me at ease. He said, have you ever flown before? Yes, sir. <laughs> I lied. And um, he said, great, OK, then, brilliant. Well, we'll do something a bit more interesting today, then. Uh, should we do some aerobatics? I thought, wow, wow. Um, now, at this point in my life, I'm not even keen on roller coasters. I, I was, you know, a, a, a big dipper, a big dipper that I thought twice about. Um, but I, I wanted to sort of front it out. So, yes, yeah, sir, that sounds great. He said, right, OK, then. Um, so we did a, we did a loop. Um, and uh, by the time my, my stomach and my body had been reunited, um, it, it, was, it was good. Um, and then he said, right, we're going to do a barrel roll. Now, a barrel roll, you, you, your aircraft's fly, flying along. These are your wingtips. You're just flying along. And basically, it sort of goes up and, and round, as if you trace with your wingtip the, the circumference of a barrel. Um, and it's totally disorientating. And we did it once. And he said, right, would you like to have a go? And I looked around, and he wasn't, he was deadly serious. And I said, okay, sir. He said, right, just lightly hold the control column in front of you, and just follow what I do. And so we did it again. He, he led the maneuver, but I was just following, and he said, right, so you, you move, he explained each movement, and then he kept on repeating it, repeating. He said, so you're doing this, 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 this. And he said, keep your eyes on that dial there. Do you know what that is? And it was a, a, a floating um, dial. It had a sky blue bit at the top, it had a purple bit at the bottom, and he said, that's your, um, that's your artificial horizon. And he said, don't try and look out the window or anything, because a bit like driving a car, if you look over there, you, you, you veer off in the wrong direction. He said, but look at your artificial horizon, and you need to get that back to where it is now um, at the end of the maneuver. And if you do that, then that would be, be really good. So he said, right, in your own time, go on. And I was, I was fairly relaxed, because this guy, I knew whatever I did, he'd reassured me, what, whatever I did, um, he would be able to correct it. And he said, if worst comes to the worst, you're wearing a parachute. <laughs> so, so there we were. So I start this manoeuvre, and I tried to remember everything that he had told me, and I tried to do it exactly as, as he had. And I kept my eyes fixed on the artificial horizon until I'd got it back to where it had been. I was really pleased with myself. But I felt completely thrown around all over the place because I wasn't used to that sort of thing. And I said, he said, um, he said OK, you, you, you happy with that? Yes, sir. Right. You sure? Yes, sir. He said, OK. Now you can look out the window. And I looked out the window and something wasn't right because the ground was blue, and up above us was fields and villages and roads. 
and I suddenly realized that I'd focused on this artificial horizon to such an extent I'd got it beautifully aligned, but the bottom half was sky blue and the top half was purple. And that was when I realized why those colors were there, so that you knew which one was the sky. I was so disorientated that I didn't, I didn't have any, I'd completely lost all appreciation of what was up and what was down. Now, that's just that's an example um, in an aeroplane, but that can happen to us more generally in life. We can lose, lose, the, lose sight of our sense of, of what is up, what is down, what is, what is the right thing to do, the right way to live life, the right way to go, and what is the wrong way. And so Jesus gives us these teachings, and he was, he was speaking to a group of people who politically were very confused, who, who socially were, were challenged, who... Um, uh, spiritually, has had um, a very sort of checkered history, as we know from the Old Testament. This is a group of people in need of some clear direction. And so Jesus gives a Sermon on the Mount, and within the Sermon on the Mount are these very specific instructions, these very specific reminders. And today's one we look at is the third of the Beatitudes, where Jesus says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Even today, that seems like an odd thing to say. Because when we think of the word meek, what do we think of? We think of someone who perhaps is uh, very timid, um, maybe comes across as being a bit, a bit weak, a bit unsure, lacking in confidence. Meek isn't someone who runs their own company. It's not a CEO. It's not a, a forthright politician. It's not someone who, who is prepared to, to stand up and, and, and lead people. That's not someone who's meek. But actually, that's not quite what Jesus meant. You see, this is one of those, um, uh, one of those examples of a, of a time when, as we translate the Bible from, from, the, from the biblical Greek into modern English, we find there's a word that we don't quite have an accurate translation for. We don't have a word that is quite good enough to capture what Jesus was saying. When we use the word meek, we think of human characteristics and the way that we might perceive someone's character. The biblical Greek word that was, that was used was a word which, if, if you were described as meek using this, the word that Jesus chose, this was someone who is prepared to come before God, be completely vulnerable, completely willing to acknowledge their own shortcomings, and to say to God, forgive me. I need you. This is a word used to describe someone who is willing to acknowledge that sometimes their up is down and their down is up and they're all confused and they just need to come before God and experience him and to realign themselves realign their values, realign the, the direction of their life and make sure that they're following the instructions of Scripture, the teachings of God's Word. And so there's a, a spiritual element with this. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. There's a big reward 
There's a big reward for this. But as I say, some of these Beatitudes were, were new teaching. This one actually isn't. This isn't a new teaching. We go back to the Psalms. Psalm 18, verse 27. You save the humble, but bring low those whose eyes are haughty. Haughty. That's a word we don't use enough, isn't it? Haughty. But in other words, you... you you save the humble. Humility is probably um, is the other word that some translations use when this beatitude is, is translated. Rather than blessed are the meek, some say blessed are the humble. Because somewhere between humility and meekness lies um, what Jesus was getting at in this, in this beatitude. You save the humble, but bring low those whose eyes are haughty. So those who have taken their eyes off God. Those whose, whose eyes are, are centering on self or centering on, on, on ambition, which doesn't honour God. Again, Proverbs 3. He mocks proud mockers, but shows favour to the humble and oppressed. So again, being humble, we receive God's favour. Humility is, is a positive character trait. But it's not something which was new when Jesus taught it in a Beatitudes. Jesus was just giving a reminder of something which had been consistently taught and encouraged, encouraged throughout the Old Testament. Isaiah 66, these are the ones I look on with favour, declares the Lord, those who are humble and contrite in spirit. These are the ones I look on with favour. Again, those who are humble. So it's really clear from the word go that um, Old Testament, New Testament, a consistent teaching of the word of God is that we should be humility, uh, we should be humble, we should practice humility, we should, we should have the attitude of, of meekness. Now, meekness is not weakness, let's be absolutely clear on that. Um, meekness is not, is not bowing down and letting other people trample over us and, and just, just um, having, no, having no principle, no backbone. No, no, it's not at all. But it is, it is recognising that our strength comes from God. That our strength comes from, comes from he who put us here in the first place, who created us. A God who sent his son into the world to reiterate the teachings that he'd put in, into our hearts from, from day one. And as we've already heard this morning, we need this reminder of humility once again. Here's an image of something which probably wouldn't bring to mind the word humility. Recently, over recent years, I'm sure it's been the same for, for generation after generation, but the people we elect to lead our country so often fail to practice genuine humility and especially in, in recent years, we've had, we've had Brexit, which rips the country apart. We've had COVID, where there's so many different opinions and ideas, and it was, it was really dangerous. We've seen in, in America, we saw in the last election, certainly from the news that we, that we had in this country, it sounded like Donald Trump was was borderline insane with some of the things that he did and got away with and said during his, his time in office. And yet, and yet he had 
millions and millions of people vote for him to the point where he actually received the second highest number of votes in any American election ever. Let's not think that that was a, um, a blip. Actually, there was a huge amount of support. And that suggests that, that or I'm not, not wanting to pick on the country of America, but that suggests that as a world, we, we need times where we, we step back and we have this opportunity to, to realign ourselves with, with, our, with our core values. And as Christians, our core values should be set not by what we think, but by what we read in Scripture, by what we feel that God is, is leading us to. But that requires us to be humble. That requires us to be meek. Sometimes to put aside our own, our own ideas, our own views and opinions, and accept, I'm wrong on this. I've been in church meetings before where, um, in fact, when I first became a Christian, I was in a church and alcohol wasn't allowed in a building. It was a big no-no. And um, this was discussed in a church meeting. And I, I, was, I was thinking, well... For me, that's, that's, alcohol isn't, isn't a problem. I've got friends who I'd love to invite along to a quiz night or something like that on a Saturday night, and they'll say, oh, can we bring a bottle of wine or do we buy it there? And I'll say, no, 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 you're not allowed alcohol. But it's, it's Saturday night. It's, I'm not being dictated to. No, it's all right, mate. I'm going to stay at home and have a drink or I'm going to go to the pub. Um, you, you, you go to your church and follow the rules. And that annoyed me. And so I remember sitting in this church meeting and speaking passionately about this. And sure enough, the church voted the other way. And I thought, at the time, I thought, oh, what a shame. But then I was reminded by someone that sometimes, Tom, we have to listen to the church meeting. And God speaks through the church. And you're wrong on this. And I said, yeah. Yeah, you're right. I'm wrong on this. Um, and I accepted that. But it was hard. It was hard because I hadn't approached that situation with humility. I'd approached it with an attitude that said, well, obviously I'm right. If we go along with what I want, then, then my mates will all come along. I was wrong. And they probably wouldn't have come along anyway. In Luke 18, Jesus gives us a practical demonstration of what this beatitude looks like. Sometimes we can find ourselves faced with a group of people or an individual, a situation where, quite frankly, humility, meekness, grace, acceptance aren't top of their list. And that can be really hard. And Jesus was no stranger to these situations. In Luke 18... Jesus is speaking to a crowd, and we're told, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. So be clear, this is Jesus' target audience. The sort of people that you think, oh, I can't stand that sort of person. They're so, they're so self-righteous. We might say arrogant. And Jesus sees straight through them. And Jesus, as he often did, met them head on and taught this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed. He prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. 
I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So we've got, we've got these, this, this parable. So just to be clear, this isn't Jesus recalling a, um, an actual event that he's seen, or he certainly doesn't, doesn't uh, frame it that way. This is a parable. A parable is a story that Jesus teaches. It works on many, many different levels, and it, it's to teach us um, a, a lesson about the values and the way things are done in the kingdom of God and the way that things should be done on earth. It's a way of teaching us how we can realign our attitudes with the attitudes of Christ. And Jesus, again, as he often did, uses a church leader. It's worrying, isn't it? A Pharisee. This was a pillar of the community. This is a a, a spiritual rock. This is someone who, who took pride in learning Scripture so that they could just reel Scripture off the tongue at any given moment in judgment. When they saw someone doing something that was, was against the teachings of Scripture, they could, they could quote the religious law straight away. But they're a bit like someone who can... A bit like someone who can recite every law of the game of golf. They've read the PGA handbook from front to back, and they know it verbatim. They can tell you every intricacy of every law but they've never swung a club in their life. They don't know what it's like. They don't know how hard it is to stick to the rules of the game that they, that they know so well. This Pharisee comes into the temple, stands by himself, and says, God, I thank you that I am not like other people. Thank you that I'm not like other people. You see, that's not meek. That's not humble. That's coming in to pray, not by, not by acknowledging his own shortcomings, not by being open and frank with God, but instead by looking around and saying, okay, um, I'm, I'm going to judge myself by everybody else, and as far as I'm concerned, I'm pretty good. So God, thanks for making me me. Thanks for, for not making me like, like everybody else. I'm not like the robber. I'm not like the evildoer. I'm not like the adulterer. No, I'm, I'm better than all of them. So actually, looking around here, I'm, I'm the best of the bunch. So good old me. Thanks, God, for making me me. This couldn't be more lacking in humility. You see, when we come before God... God's not interested in us comparing ourselves to other people. When the child takes home the school report, the parent doesn't say, well, you failed in all but one subject, but every other child in the class failed in every subject. So actually, good on you. You've had a successful year. Well done. No, that's not the approach that we take. Of course not. 
We don't come before God and compare ourselves to others. We come before God and acknowledge that in Jesus' perfection, we recognize our own imperfections. We recognize that through grace, our imperfections are forgiven. Our sin is forgiven. We recognize that we are loved in spite of our failings. We don't come and compare ourselves to others. When we pray to God, it's not about other people. It's about our heart being realigned with God's. The Pharisee says, I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. Well, that's all very well. You might think, well, that's pretty commendable. Yeah, fair enough. Great. But this Pharisee is, is reminding God. He's reminding God, you know, thanks for making me me. By the way, don't forget everything I give you. Don't forget everything that I, that I do. No, I'm pretty good. When we give, when we serve, when we help, we don't do it for our own glory. We don't do, we don't do it so we can then remind God or remind others of, of what we've done. We do it because we know what has been done for us through Christ on the cross. We know that, that through the grace that is given to us, one day we'll enter the kingdom of heaven. And our response to that is a desire to serve. It's not serving so that we can, we can celebrate it and oh, look at me, look what I've done. It's serving because I'm in awe of what I've been given. I want to, I want to give something back. In my, my meekness, I recognize without God, I can do nothing, but with God, anything's possible. So we should serve not with the attitude of, of, the, of the Pharisee here. As I was preparing for today, I was aware that it's Ruth's last Sunday with us, and I thought the number of times that Ruth's gone out and helped the young man that I mentioned earlier. And when I spoke to her um, a little while ago, she spoke about this uh, dossier she's put together to, um, to help whoever um, feels called to take on that role going forward and to help out with, with the team. And I thought, this isn't something that she's simply done because there's no one else to do it. This was a real heart, to the point that she's thinking, well, I'm, I'm, I'm moving on now, so I want to make sure that I... I do as much as I can. But all that went on in the background, and that's humility. And I'm sorry to embarrass you, but we celebrate that. And I know there are many, many other people in, in this church, and I, I thank God for you, who do things in the background, not, not seeking attention. So often I hear through a third or fourth party, I think, I didn't know that. Oh my goodness, what incredible service. What humility, what meekness. And so the, the Pharisee is held up by Jesus as an example of how not to do it, how not to come into God's presence, how not to practice a meek and humble heart. Instead, Jesus says, but the tax collector. Now, you remember the, um, a couple of weeks ago I spoke about the prostitute. Well, even the prostitute would have looked down on the tax collector 
tax collectors were uh, legalised criminals, if that, if that isn't a contradiction in terms. Um, they would buy the tax debt of a region, a town or, or uh, an area, from, from the Romans. They were, they were very wealthy. They would buy this debt. And once they'd bought the debt, they had a right to use Roman military um, uh, troops and other resources to go and collect the taxes. But they also had a right to add on to the taxes whatever they wanted. And so by buying a debt and then adding on to it, they, they drove the poor into poverty. They were despised at every level of society because it was known. This was no secret. This was known. If you were a tax collector, then you started off rich and you finished mega, mega rich. And you did it all at the expense of those who could not afford to, um, to, to give anything. And yet you forced every last penny out of them. They would drive people out of their homes. They would, they would cause starvation because people had to give money to them rather than, food, uh, rather than buy food. Tax collectors were, they were, um, to use a modern phrase, the scum of the earth. They were despised. And so when Jesus uses a tax collector here in this parable, this would have been a, a wake-up call for those listening. Don't forget his target audience, some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else. Well, everyone looked down on tax collectors, so these people looked down on them from a massive height. The idea of a tax collector being held up to them as some sort of... Um, moral example was, was, was shocking. It was offensive. Yeah, that's what Jesus does. The tax collector stood at a distance. He wouldn't even look up to heaven. There's a real contrast, isn't there, in the body language between the two. The Pharisee walks in, stands by himself, and prays. The tax collector can't bring himself to raise his eyes. He's, he's hunched over. He's, he's looking down. He's, he's, he's just, he knows who he is. He knows what he is. He's come in to pray, and he's praying with the right heart. You see, he may have been the scum of the earth as far as the earth was concerned, but as far as God was concerned, nobody has that title. Nobody has that title because God created that tax collector and he might have chosen a different path to the one that God wanted for him to take in his life, but there was always a way back. And on that day, he goes into the temple and he bows his head and he prays. And he prays, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. He's so ashamed of of the life that he's lived, he wouldn't even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast as he said those words, God have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus says, I tell you, this man, the tax collector, rather than the other one, the Pharisee, went home justified before God. And then the closing sentence is the crux of this parable. And it's also the crux of the, um, the beatitude that we're looking at today. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled. If we put ourselves up there on a, on, um, um, on a pedestal, we'll be knocked off it pretty quickly. 
We know that, don't we? In, in, in the world, this is one of the values that maybe is still in line with, with, with biblical teaching. As soon as, as somebody does something good, wow, we love to find a headline and a bit of dirt on them that, that knocks them right back down to earth. And sometimes you think, oh, why? They were doing their best. They, they, that was a good thing. Why is it that we had to belittle it and demean it? But other times, sometimes we think, They needed that reminder. We needed that reminder. Those of us who have been looking and putting them on a pedestal, we needed that reminder that actually the only one on the pedestal who deserves a pedestal is Christ, and yet he humbled himself. Those who will will exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So... We go... Just go back a slide. My fault, I've been forgetting to um, click along. That's the one, thank you. So we don't compare ourselves with others when we come before God. We don't brag about what we've done, about who we are. Being a Pharisee was about doing The Pharisee points at at what he's done and through what he's done expects to earn favour with God. But you see, doing is all very well. We think of Mary and Martha and it's always difficult, isn't it? Because you think, well, if if everyone was a Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus listening, then nothing would get done. The same way if everyone was a Martha not sitting at the feet of Jesus, then everything would be done, but it wouldn't be done the way that Jesus would have it done. So there's always a tension in the text whenever we read that. But... What I mean here is that when we come before God, we don't think of what we are doing. I loved it this morning because I, I, I believe it was, it was of God. Um, I had no knowledge of, of the slides that Steve was going to share. Um, but I love the fact that one of them was a lady just sitting, and I think you described her as being just in the presence of God. And sometimes prayer, we, we don't need to go with a, with a shopping list of things or with a, with a big rant or, um, or, or begging for help in a, in a certain situation. Sometimes we just, Lord, speak to me right now. I don't know about you, I find that actually sitting on top of a, a hilltop or something like that, I find that really helpful. Other people don't. We all have our, our different ways of communicating with God and receiving from God. But it's so important that, that in our prayer life, in our, our life in general, we, 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 don't make, we don't do all the time. That our Christian journey is not about what we do, it's not about our actions. Our actions are a result, are a result of what we are. To do is to take action. To be, to be something requires transformation. And as we look at these, at these Beatitudes, I'm hoping that all of us can be something slightly closer to the spirit of the teachings that we read by the end of this series. So just to close this morning, in Philippians, Paul presents to us a demonstration of this beatitude, in, not in a parable, not in a, um, a story, but in a character description. Paul writes, in your relationships with one another, 
Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. That's never bad advice, is it? Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his advantage. So Jesus, he didn't, he didn't do what he could have done. The Son of God. We know he had power to perform miracles. We know he had power to heal do all sorts of things. We know that he could have gone in and overrun the Roman army. He could have um, upset the political scene of the day. He could have done anything. But despite the fact that he was in very nature God, he was fully God, fully man. He was the son of God. He wasn't just a prophet. He wasn't just a representative. He wasn't just a, a wise man or a great leader or a good speaker. He was the Son of God. He was part of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But he didn't consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking, taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. The Son of God came to serve. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death. So Jesus could have lived forever as the man who originally came onto this earth. But instead, he was obedient to death. Why? Because he was fully God, yes, but he was also fully man. And if he hadn't have died on that cross, he wouldn't be fully man, because none of us are immortal. He became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him. So you see, Jesus has humbled himself, and we're told in verse 9, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Christ Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Just pick out the, the salient points from that, um, from that passage. So first of all, Jesus, he made himself nothing. He was a helpless, poor, defenseless baby when he came into the world. He made himself nothing. He humbled himself. We see that with the company that he kept, with the, the way he conducted himself, the way that he cared for people, he loved for people. Humility, when we have an attitude of humility, we, we, we elevate others before ourselves. And Jesus did that all the time. Humility is a really hard passage, uh, uh, subject to preach on. I found that this week. I was walking past, um, I was just walking home from church one day. There was someone trying to reverse into a space in a narrow street. And I looked and I thought, your car is bigger than that space. You are never, ever going to get in there. And they were going backwards and forwards and trying. And I just thought, this is, it's ne it's all, you're either going to scratch your car or someone else's. You're not, it's just not going to work. But there was just absolute determination. And I just thought, oh, what, what a wally. What an absolute wally. I spent a whole day preparing a sermon on humility. 
And there am I immediately looking down on someone. Oh, what a wally. And I know the number of times I've tried to get into a space and, and I've known it's not big enough, but I've been looking for a space for ages. It's the only one. And you kind of think, well, if I maneuver enough, then maybe the car will shrink or the space will get bigger. I've been there. I've done it myself. And yet there I was judging this person and failing to practice humility. But if we follow the example of Jesus, we must be prepared to humble ourselves, not just on individual occasions, but to take on an attitude of humility throughout every, every part of our lives, every part of our being. He made himself nothing. He humbled himself. And as a result of those two things, therefore, God exalted him. Why? Because blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. This is consistent teaching that has been reinforced from the Psalms, through the prophets, through the Beatitudes, through Paul's writings. Make no mistake, this is God's will for us is for us to be a, a humble people. People who are meek before him. Because if we, if we are meek before him, then he will strengthen us as we go out into the world. But if we come to him comparing ourselves and bragging and patting ourselves on the back, then we don't leave him any room to make an impression because we're already full of our own self-importance and God becomes of very little importance. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. This is a heart attitude. And so just to finish today, may I offer... A humble opinion. May we begin this path or this return perhaps to having humble, meek hearts with a confession of our sin. Now I know I spoke about confession of sin last week and and the confession isn't something that, that, we, that we like to talk about because it, it can be painful and it can be a bit, um, a bit sort of, uh, uh, it can lower our spirits, but it shouldn't. It shouldn't because we confess to a God who loves us. We confess to a God who says, come to me asking for forgiveness and I will offer forgiveness. But if we don't confess our sin, then, then we carry that burden ourselves. Confession is kind of offloading a burden. If we come before God, confession is a, very act, is a very humble act. It's almost the epitome of meekness. We should give willingly. Now, I'm not talking about financially here, although the church can't function without, without members giving, so we do, we do give sacrificially. But we should give willingly. That might be our time. That might be our prayers. That might be offering support in, in different situations that we know about within the church. We should be prepared to, to give ourselves, to offer ourselves back to God. God's given us this life and all the things that we have, and we can offer ourselves back to God. And he'll never say, yeah, all right, I'll take all that. And pff, That's not God. God will love us and use us and celebrate us and bless us. It's not blessed are the meek because they give everything to God and he doesn't have to do anything with them. It's for they shall inherit the earth. 
There is an inheritance talked about here. On this path to humility, our attitude to others is key. We can exalt others. And by that I mean we can encourage each other. Encouragement is, is one, of the, one of the most important characteristics that a Christian should practice with other people. We can go out into the world and we can, we can say, come to church, you need Jesus, you need forgiveness. I don't, I, that, that means nothing. I have no interest. Go away and leave me alone, you weirdo. That's the general response. But if you go out into the world and say, hey, look, I, I know you feel like you're having a bad day, but you're doing all right. You, you've done this. Thank you for this. Do you need help with this? Can I, um, I just want to encourage you. I want to exalt you. I want to lift you up. I want you to leave this conversation with me feeling better about yourself and the world than you did before you met me. If we can do that, then we leave a lasting, positive, Christ-like impression on those that we meet. And finally, the Pharisee, when he prayed in Luke 18, he thanked God that he wasn't like the robbers, the evildoers, the adulterers. He should have been out there helping the people in need who were so desperate that they were at the point of stealing. Those who were so bitter that they were seeking revenge. Those who were so miserable that they were looking for the cheap thrill of the affair. He should have been out there sharing the spirit of God with them, the spirit of the love. But instead, he was in the temple casting judgment. Let us never be that people. Let us never be the ones who sit casting judgment, but instead, let's be the ones who acknowledge weakness in those around us, but also weakness in ourselves, because none of us are without our weaknesses. And the day that we lose the humility to ask for help, is the day that our artificial horizon flips round the wrong way and we don't even notice. Preaching on humility makes the preacher feel like a total hypocrite. Because as you teach all these things, as you preach all these things, you suddenly realize how easy it is for us to lose sight of the direction in which Jesus wants us to travel. And I'm sure I'm not the only one here who is grateful for the Beatitudes and for the opportunity to revisit them and for the, the richness and the depth and the consistency of the teachings of Scripture which encourage us. to follow that, that, that direction, that, that direction, that Christ-like direction that Jesus himself points us to. And so as we go out into the world this week, let's take these four, four points, or maybe there are others that are springing to your mind that God's putting on your heart that, that you need to hear this morning. But let's make sure that we react in some way to this beatitude. Let's make sure that we are obedient to the teachings of Jesus. Let's pray. For those who exalt themselves 
will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. Father God, we thank you for what we have studied this morning. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to make sure that the direction of our lives is in line with the path that you've set before us. And Father, we thank you that if we find ourselves, or when we find ourselves lacking in any way, you are not there to condemn us. You are not there to abandon us. You are there to shepherd us back onto the right path. Father, we thank you for the teachings of Jesus. We thank you for this parable that we've looked at this morning. And we thank you, Lord, for the reassurance that when we come before you, when we acknowledge our own weakness, we find unlimited strength in you. And so, Lord, as we go about our, our lives this week, whatever we're, whatever we're doing, we pray that you will bless us. We pray that you will, you will hold us close. We pray, Father, that you will give us that inner strength, strength to confess, strength to, to help others, strength to encourage others, strength to exalt others, to put others above ourselves, but also, Lord, strength to come into your presence and to meet with your grace, to find your favor, to give ourselves to you afresh. Father God, we pray that in every situation we face, you will teach us more about humility so that as we go out into the world, we can be the most positive witness for you that we can be. That we can build your kingdom. We can share your love. And that one day, we can claim our part of that wonderful inheritance. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's close by singing out some amazing truths about Jesus, that he's God's righteousness revealed. He's the expression of God's love, the grace of God, the word of God revealed to us.